Well, if you'd like to turn in your Bible to the book of Colossians, that's where we'll start today. I've been gone for a couple weeks, a few of you noticed that, uh, which I guess made me feel good that somebody realized I wasn't here. Um, I, was, uh, I was down in Louisiana with two of my sons. We were uh, part of a Life Action event there. Some of you know I also work for Life Action. Um, it's kind of a day job for me, and I was there to help pilot a new conference that they're offering. So a few years ago, we had a Life Action Summit here. If you remember, a 15-day experience. The, the teams were here. The trucks were here. We had the team up here on night by night, uh, all sorts of programs and fun things. So the, the conference we were piloting is actually a follow-up conference to that. And uh, so the pilot went well. We'll come back and retool. And I would imagine, you know, in the next few years, we'll be able to have one of those here at BCBC uh, when that's ready. But uh, that's where we were. That's why I was gone for two Sundays. And um, it was actually a lot of fun. In, in the midst of also, you know, having work to do, we also got to go, uh, William Hudson and I got to go out into the bayous of Louisiana, and we went on a couple swamp tours, uh, which were quite enlightening. I'd never been in a cypress swamp before. I'd never seen, you know, all this dangerous wildlife that up close and personal. And um, there, was, there were two tours that we went on. One was sort of an official safety first type of a tour. There was like fencing around the boat. The kids had to wear life jackets. There were, you know, you could kind of see things from far away, but it was all very sensible, very calm, never felt any threat at all. The other tour we went on was just some backwoods Louisiana guy that has an airboat that gives people rides, and that was a blast. That was really fun. It was like there was no rules at all, and he opened up the throttle on that thing. We were flying through the swamp, running over stuff, it seemed like, and, uh, and then he went into the, I, I suppose what you're really not supposed to do, if you feed the alligators every time the boat comes, then when the boat comes, the alligators come. So he pulled into this, this like little cove and said, yeah, yeah, here's where the alligators are. And they started swimming at us like really fast and uh, kind of swarming our boat. And he ripped out all this, these raw chicken legs and started tossing them into the water. Alligators are jumping over each other to get them. And they started jumping up on our boat. And he, so one of the other tourists that was there, I mean, this is you know, William, my five-year-old, Hudson, my 12-year-old, me, a couple other people, was like, should we be worried? He said, well, yeah, that, I mean, that, you know, you don't want them to get you. <laughs> so, well, okay. So he was, he was literally, there was no fence on the boat. He was, the alligators would jump up on the boat. He would slap them and say, get down from there. <laughs> and so, and he gave William, my five-year-old, a bag of marshal, marshmallows and said, throw them out there. They'll move away. And it was true. They followed the marshmallows. So that was an experience. Um, I asked the boys, what would they what would they want to do again? Of course, they would like to do the airboat again. Um, the other tour, forget it. So I would recommend it. I mean, we lived, therefore I recommend it. And uh, we, had, we actually had a great time. So, all right. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And this is a part of our series through the book of Colossians. We started back at the beginning of the fall, just walking through this book. And as we've been going, we've had multiple teachers kind of helping us see different lenses through which we read this letter that Paul wrote to the Church of Colossae. Um, I've personally found it to be really refreshing and clear and kind of obvious. I've studied Colossians before. I think I might have even taught through Colossians before, but somehow, walking through it this time, just there's a certain clarity that comes when you see the place of Jesus in our lives and why Paul wrote this book to essentially say to this church, hey, don't lose sight of who Jesus actually is and what he does for you. Once you see that, the whole book just comes into focus. 
So it's only four chapters. It's a relatively brief letter as far as the whole Bible is concerned, but there's a lot of truth packed in here. So we're about midway here at the very beginning of chapter 3, and starting back from a few weeks ago, we saw this verse as kind of our theme. Okay, we'll have to advance that for me. And that is uh, verse, verse 6 of chapter 1. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So we have the gospel truth, the good news about Jesus going out all over the world, but we don't have to necessarily just believe reports from other places. We can also look at our own life story and say, wow, the, the power of God, the grace of Jesus has changed me, and so I'm, I'm excited to share that. Now, what we've learned in the context of this study so far, everything you need to be a whole person, you'll discover in knowing Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people running a lot of different directions today, trying to figure out who they are and why they are, what their core identity actually is. Jesus answers all of that for us. Jesus is all of that for us. And once we understand that, the rest of our Christian life kind of comes into clearer view. A few weeks ago, we offered this as a summary of the book of Colossians, just in one statement, and that is, Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. And I know that sounds simple, but the more you meditate on that principle, the more not only will this book make sense to you, but actually your life will make sense to you because Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. People will offer you all sorts of pathways for life about what matters, about what you should focus on, about where to put your attention. The sooner you find the truth that's in Jesus, the more you can live a real and, and visionary and valuable life. Okay, so let's go to chapter 3, verse 1, and pick up today's text. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Now this is one paragraph in the midst of Colossians, but I really think the whole understanding of this book hinges on this paragraph. Because previous to this, we're hearing the theological truth, the doctrinal truth about who Jesus is, why Jesus' sacrifice matters for us, why it is that Jesus is superior to other ways of thinking or living. But here in this paragraph, since that's true, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, now what? Now where do you go? And the rest of the book is going to teach us what to do. What does it look like to live as a Christian? What does it look like to have Jesus be not just someone you believe in, but actually in you, the secret to your life. So I, I could see in the, in the paragraph we're looking at here, there's kind of a before and after. There's a below and above. There's a dead and a raised. There's old and new. There's earth and heaven. There's a lot of contrasting going on. And all of us have that contrast in our lives if we put our faith in Jesus. So baptism that we just celebrated a little while ago is a fantastic example of that, right? We're buried to our old way of life. It's as if we're putting that to death. And then when the people come out of the baptismal water, it's a symbol of saying, okay, now your life is new. Now you're set on a new course. You're dead to what you once were. You're now a new creation. 
So all of us who are followers of Jesus have a before and an after story. Something changed, something big changed about not just what we do or what we believe, but actually who we are when we follow Jesus. Okay? And if you look at verse 3, kind of like the turn of a phrase here in this verse, for you died to this life, which is an interesting, you think the word died and life there are in the same category. You're still living this life. In one sense, you're still here living an earthly existence, but your purpose, your soul is no longer, it's, that's not all it is. You've died to this way of living, and instead, you've been raised with Christ to a new kind of life, something that is miraculous, something you couldn't have made happen on your own. You've literally died to one way of living and r- risen up now for a different way of living. Say, well, I'd love to know how to do that. What does that look like? So we'll walk through a couple things here. First of all, you now have a real life that is beyond this earthly, physical one. When I was thinking about, especially the truth in verse 3, where it says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God, I was thinking about how the forces of darkness out there would love to convince us that that hasn't happened, right? Wouldn't you think that if you were Satan, you would you would think, okay, well, if, there, if our lives are hidden with Christ in God, Satan can't exactly have us. So wouldn't you want to try to mess people up and make them not realize what they have? See, I think that's what was happening to the church of Colossae, right? So they, they had received the gospel. They had Jesus, but now there were other people coming along saying, oh, no, you need to add a little more. You need to understand the special truth. Here's all these mysteries. Here's these laws you need to follow. And Paul's saying, hold on, you already have the secret literally right in front of you. Don't don't walk away from that. You've already got it in your hands. So if you're Satan, you say, well, I can't can't pull people out of God's hand, so what can I do? And I I try not to do this very often, but I was thinking, you know, if I was Satan, what would I do, right? So here we go. Oh, well, Satan can't touch my identity, but he can make me question it or even forget it. Okay, so as far as if our identity has been totally rearranged by Jesus, Satan can't change that, but he could make you doubt it. He could make you forget about it. He could tempt you to think about everything other than who you really are and what you were really made to be. Satan can't change the realities of heaven upon which we should set our sights, but he can tempt me to focus myself on earth. So Satan can't pull you away from heaven, but what he could do is make you never think about it. He could tempt you with so many little distractions and whether they're sins or frivolous things that you could wake up one day and live for whatever 16 hours you're awake and fall asleep that night and never have thought about who you actually are. Can you imagine that? Never have thought about what you're made to be. Never have thought about God who loves you. Never thought about eternity. You are so wrapped up in this earth, this world, the systems of this world, the fun of this world, that you literally missed the purpose of who you are. So if you were Satan, you would want to do that, right? You'd want to pull people away from that. Satan can't reverse what Jesus has done, but he can tempt me to go back to my old identity. So we had all that contrasting, right? The before and after. Well, Satan can't make you go back, but he can make you... He can make you think you need to go back. He can tempt you with your old life. Say, oh, it was easier back then. I didn't have to resist temptation back then. 
and pull you back down into the gutter. That's not who you are anymore. Jesus saved you and changed you. Um, Satan is trying to distract you. Okay? Satan can't strike hard at God himself, but he can distract me in an attempt to mock my real life in Christ. So your real life is in Christ. I've been thinking a lot about that this week. What is real life? Like, who are you really? So how would you start answering that question? Somebody said, what is your, where is your real life? Like, how would you locate it in your mind? You might say, well, it's my, maybe you'd say it's my secret life. Uh, maybe you'd say it's what, my, what I wish my life was, what I'm, well, like my intentions. Like, maybe you'd say, people don't understand, everybody thinks wrong about me, here's who I really am. Maybe that's how you think about real life. Or maybe you're very worried about what other people think. So your sense of real life is tied to the opinions of others. Like, man, if I really want people to see what I want them to see, and that's the real me. Maybe you're very defeated and you know, kind of guilty and ashamed in your heart, and you're, you, you say, no, the real me is terrible. Like, people have no idea how awful I am. Where is your real life? So think about different places we might go to turn for definition. We probably all have all of these in one way or another. You, you probably have a slightly different persona with each type of life that you live, right? So your personal life might be like your life at home, just when you're kind of on your own. Uh, your professional life is going to be a lot different, right? So maybe you sing in the shower, but you don't sing in the office, right? Because there's a difference between your personal life and your professional life. Or maybe at home you wear sweatpants and a t-shirt, you lounge around on a recliner, but you don't do that when you're here in church. Like you kind of take it up a level, maybe. Not, not everybody, I realize that. Um, the uh, uh, social life, maybe you... Uh, Maybe you have, you know, just a thriving social life and you're, you're the person that everybody thinks like, wow, this guy's got it all together, this person's so popular, but then when you're actually alone, you feel lonely, you feel empty. Family life, um, digital life, it's an interesting category for us to think about because, you know, people back in olden days didn't have the ability to have like a totally fake persona they could project about who they are, but now we can, right? So... So you can get on Instagram and you can think, wow, these people have amazing lives. Like they, they win everything they try to do. Their families look perfect. They've always got all, it's all wonderful. It's all color treated. And then you look at your life and it's, you know, kind of boring and you think maybe you're missing out on whatever, the, the real life that everybody else has. It's all a big deception, right? But we could, we could project ourselves and think like, I'm going to make my digital life great even when our actual life, our real life, is far from that. I also think about our intended life. I think if there was any of these that trips me up personally, it's probably this one. That it's not what I actually do, it's like what I kind of wish I was doing, or what I thought I was doing, that I'll think is actually me. Like, that's who I am because that's what I want, but it's not always what comes out into reality. So how about you? If somebody said, where is your real life? Where would you locate it? Now, Colossians 3 says your real life is where? Hidden with Christ in God. I think that's an amazing thought, right? So let's ask it one other way. What defines you? Like, how would you, if, some, if you looked yourself up in the dictionary, you know, what would be, how would they describe it? Oh, what, what, are, what are you exactly? 
Um, so again, we come to a situation like that and we read in a bunch of what the world around us tells us would be important. So you might say, well, what, what defines me are my best moments. I'm a winner. I'm successful. I'm rich. I got the job. I, I, my, my team scored the touchdown. We, you know, whatever it is, that the thing that I wished for is happening and that's what I am. But the problem with that being the definition is that's not the whole story, right? There was also the day that you lost. There's also the day that you failed. There's also the day that you were poor. There's also the day things didn't work the way you wanted. So your feelings, that might be a place that people turn to try to get some definition. It leads to a lot of confusion, right? So you can look across our culture today and how I think feelings is what people would say is the sort of the premium way to know who you are is how do you feel? What do you feel about yourself? So you can completely redefine yourself if you feel something. Hey, well, that's not a, that doesn't really anchor you to anything if that's your definition. Your failures. I know some people very quietly hold this in their heart. You know, they'll, they'll think about the failures in their life. And to them, even when other people try to encourage them, their mind immediately goes back to failure and they say, no, I can't receive that encouragement because I know what I did. I know how bad I actually am. Maybe you let your family define you. So you say, you know, wow, it's just the, the, the opinions of my family or, the, uh, or even your ethnicity. Like you're kind of looking at your group and saying, that's my definition. How about your keeping of the rules? Right? So there are people in Colossae that were messing with that. We learned about that a little bit in chapter 2. Um, that, that, hey, if, if I can just like get my life together and be right, be righteous, that, that's me. That's actually what I want to be. Public persona, beliefs. Some people, you know, you say, who are you? Tell me about yourself. And they would go right to either theology or politics or something they really believe. Say, well, that's part of the story. That's part of the, who you are. But it's not really the answer to the question. So again, we go back to our text. Who are you and where are you? Well, according to God's word, as a Christian, Christ in you and you in him is your primary definition. Now, this is big, right? I mean, it's kind of heady. I realize that. We're in, this is sort of theoretical. But I just want you to contemplate this for a second. Above any other label you could put on yourself, if you are a Christian, Jesus in you is what defines you, your life as a human being, your existence. It's Jesus in you. All the other aspects of who you are, or things that you feel, things that you've done, those things all matter in their place, but they're all secondary to who you are. And you are hidden with Christ in God. You are a part of God's story. You've, been, you've died to the old life, and you've been raised to a new kind of life. Okay, if you look back one book of the Bible to the book of Ephesians, uh, or two books of the Bible, Ephesians and Colossians were written similar time frame to similar people, so you can kind of read them as almost parallel letters from Paul. So some of the concepts are expounded in one way or another if you bounce back and forth between the letters. Paul takes a little bit of a deeper dive on what it means for Christ to actually transform you, to be in you, to redefine you. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, With the Lord's authority, I say this, Live no longer as the Gentiles do. So that's the world out there. For they are hopelessly confused. 
Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure. They eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So there's this big trade that happens when you become a Christian. You're trading away an old kind of life for a new life. You're trading away an old sinful nature for a new holy nature. And God starts working that transformation in you. So when you look at your heart and you say, okay, I see who Jesus is, I see his perfection, I see God's purposes, but I'm light years from that. How would I ever move in that direction? The answer is Jesus transforms your heart. Christ in you, in your life, is the secret to your life. That's not just about how you would define yourself, but it's also about how you take your next step, how you live. Jesus in your life is the secret to your life. So you say, Lord, what should I do? Where should I go? Who should I become? You look to Jesus, and he gives you the definition that you need to be able to take your next step. Now, in the first week of this study, we looked at this little paradigm, which you would probably run into if you've ever gone to counseling or therapy. Someone would would essentially have this grid in their mind that there are three primary needs that everyone has in their heart, and most of life is our pursuit to meet those three needs, one way or the other. Okay, so no matter how sophisticated you think you are or how simple you think you are, in your heart, this is actually what's going on. There are three things that you need. You need significance, belonging, and security. Okay, and you think about how whenever our lives aren't what we wish they were, it's because one of those areas is somehow not in balance or not right. So you say, man, my life doesn't matter. The things I'm doing doesn't matter, so now I'm upset about that, or I don't feel like I belong. I feel like I, I, don't, feel, I, don't, I don't know where I fit in, uh, or I'm afraid of what might happen. That's, it's these three aspects that we need to have a full life. Okay? And where will you find that life? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus comes along. He doesn't just tell you what to do. He actually enters your life and he fills you with these three things. He changes you so that now your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your whole future and identity is different. Once we're in a relationship with Christ, we find significance, belonging, and security that our hearts crave. Okay, and then there's a little bit more. If you look at chapter 3, verse 4, it's not just about our present reality that we're hidden with Christ in God and that we have this real life to look at. There's a little bit more to look forward to. Look at verse 4. It says, When Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So when Christ is, he's your whole life, but wow, when he is revealed, everyone will know the truth. Not just about him, but about you. So for any time you felt like, man, there was injustice done, or people didn't understand me, or I've been trying to live for Jesus and no one understands, all of that will be made right. In the end, when Jesus appears, every hard heart will see the truth, every persecutor will know the truth, every, everybody everywhere. Um, in fact, in Philippians, it says every knee will bow and have to admit that Jesus actually is the Lord. So the good news is, if you're a Jesus follower today, you're already in Jesus, he's in you, and in that little equation, 
you will find the secret to your life, to who you are, and to what you should do next. Now, next week, we'll go from verse 5 forward. And what we'll see, if you look at kind of the transition word there, the beginning of verse 5, like, okay, here's this amazing thing that's true. You get to set your sights on heaven. You get to think about the realities of life that are way beyond this world. Because that is true, here's what to do next. So, start living in the light of your identity in Christ. All right, what I'd like to do is take a couple minutes for us to just pray over these verses as we wrap up, because these are the kind of verses that, because they are conceptual, in the, in the hurry of whatever, the, the next stress coming at you, the thing you have to do after church, it would be easy to read this, kind of nod along and go, yeah, that's great, and then move on and go right back to setting your sights on this world, right? Is that anybody else think you might be tempted to do that? So let's pray and let's ask God to help us actually turn our eyes, like the text says, up and to see what God is really doing in us, through us, that will help us then take our next step forward wherever that leads you, okay? So let's bow our heads, we'll pray, and in the context of praying, I'll ask a few questions, which are some prompts for you to be able to pray, just in your own heart to the Lord, about some of the things we're learning. So Lord, we come to you right now. First of all, we thank you for your grace, for the transformational power of the gospel. Lord, that you, you didn't just do these things in some sort of detached way for us, you actually want to do them in us. And when you died and rose again, you, Lord, were paving a way for us to die and rise again, for us to die to this life and raise to a new kind of life. So, Lord, we just want to say thank you for that, even though I don't know that any of us fully understand it. So, verse 1, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Lord, this week... How do you want me to set my sights on the realities of heaven? Lord, it says that you sit at the place of honor at God's right hand. Thank you for completing the work that we needed done in order to be able to walk with you. Verse 2 says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Lord, what things of earth have been disproportionately occupying my thoughts? Verse 3, you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Lord, have I been finding my real life in you, or trying to define myself in another way? Verse 4, and when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. 
right now in your imagination, I just want you to picture what you think it will look like when Jesus is revealed to the whole world. When everyone everywhere finally sees the truth about him, about themselves, about you. Lord, how do you want us to live today in light of that coming moment? Jesus, may you turn our gratefulness and our reflection here in this moment into action in our lives. Help us not to simply modify what we believe as we read your word, but to change the direction we're going. And Lord, if any of my brothers and sisters here in the room have had their eyes down, I pray that you would give them the grace and the courage right now to lift them up and see the realities of heaven. Lord, if anyone in the room has been struggling with their identity in their core, who they are, why they are, Lord, would you help them to grasp this amazing truth that our real life is hidden with you. Lord, if anyone is here who has never taken a step of faith, who's still on the outside looking into all of this, pray that you would give them today the courage to take a step of faith, to trust you instead of trusting in themselves. Lord, every verse of your word makes us grateful that you would love us, you would care for us, that your grace can transform us. We thank you and we look forward to continuing to learn and grow as Christian believers. We look forward to the things that you have for us both now and in eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week.